scripture this morning is from um, John 3, verses 1 through 10 and 19 through 21. You can find it on page 93 in the New Testament in your pew Bible. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what, of, what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may have noticed this, but I love Tony Campolo's stories. I think he has the greatest way of telling stories. He finds these simple moments and he makes them into um, powerful examples of things we need to know or do in our faith life. Well, he tells a story about a corporate executive that I enjoy. This corporate executive lost his job, which of course I don't enjoy. But he lost his job, and he was afraid to tell his family. And so instead of telling his family, he pretended that he was going to work every day, and instead of going to work, he went and sat on a park bench. And he sat, and he kind of bemoaned his life. He bemoaned his experience. He dealt with all his feelings about losing his job and just sat there very sad. Well, one day as he's sitting on the bench and he's sad and he's kind of moaning and groaning, someone else is also sitting on the bench and he looks as equally sad. And so the corporate executive says to him, well, what's the matter with you? And the guy said, well, what's the matter with you? So the corporate executive says, well, I lost my job, and I don't want to tell my family, and I'm sitting here without a job, and I can't provide my fam for my family anymore, and I'm feeling really crummy, and so I don't want them to know what I've done, and I don't want them to find out this about me. 
Now, what's the matter with you? Well, the guy says, I run the circus, and it's a wonderful circus, and our main attraction is this gorilla who is just fantastic and scary, and he's the, the guy that everybody comes out to see. They're so excited to see this gorilla who's funny and scary and the main attraction. And there's a pause, and then the circus guy says, you know, it occurs to me that you're without a job and I'm without a gorilla. What if we skinned the gorilla and you put on the skin of the gorilla and you were my gorilla for the circus? The corporate executive says, well, hey, that would work. That would be that. I could do that. And so they do, and, and he goes, and he's the gorilla, and he's doing so great, and, and he's even scarier and more entertaining than the real gorilla, and so all kinds of people are coming, and the circus is growing, and they're making all kinds of money. And then one time, by accident, the gorilla is in the main stage, the main ring, and a lion is in there too. And they kind of circle each other, and they're sort of dancing around. And finally, the lion has the gorilla cornered, and the gorilla starts yelling, Help! 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 And the lion says, Shh! Be quiet! You're not the only one without a job here! <laughs> Many of us live in fear of being exposed for who we really are. We don't want the world to discover that deep down, we're not who everybody thinks we are. Nicodemus had this problem. Do you know Nicodemus? As I was preparing for writing this study and I was thinking about the character that I wanted to um, line up with the cross of authenticity, I kept thinking about Nicodemus and... I have two different thoughts on Nicodemus. The first is that, you know, he's kind of, he almost seems sinister because he comes to Jesus under the cloak of darkness. And then the second thought I have of, of Nicodemus, the one that I imagine in my mind, I realize is because of Hollywood. Now, I don't know if you have this experience, but you might notice that often during Lent, movies come out about Jesus. For example, there's one out right now, The Son of God. We had The Passion a few years ago. Many years ago on TV, Jesus of Nazareth came out. Does anybody remember that one? I took a class in college, uh, my senior year of college, last semester, I took a class called Jesus in History and Film, and we watched all the Jesus movies. Uh, and I realized that my impression of Nicodemus comes from this clip, and I want to show it to you. Does anybody remember that movie? Does anybody know what's wrong with that scene? It's in the daytime, right. So that's very problematic because something that's very important about, I think, this story is the way that Nicodemus approaches Jesus. I also think that um, he comes across a little bit more warm and friendly probably than the scriptures describe him. He also begins with a warning, which is not scriptural either. So that's, that's just my pastoral warning, my moment of when you go to the movies or when you watch these movies, you have to then go home and read the scripture too. But I do think that Nicodemus was portrayed in this way because I think the director thought this would be a, a nicer thing for us to see. We don't want to see ourselves 
and Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. A Pharisee, as you may remember, was a leader among the Jews. They followed a strict observance of Jewish law. Christian scriptures paint them as having an arrogance about them, that Pharisees held to pretenses of superior sanctity. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was among them. And of course we know that at the time of Jesus, there were some Pharisees and there were a lot of people who uh, really didn't like Jesus. They made him, Jesus made them nervous. Jesus was preaching something different from what all they were holding uh, very strictly to. He uh, was suggesting that they didn't have to, people didn't have to follow the law the way that it's written and quite in the manner that it had been taught. He was encouraging people to know the law in their heart and even to violate it. He healed people on the Sabbath, which was considered breaking the law. He ate with unclean people and, was in, and encountered unclean people. He was also teaching new things. He took the basic commandment, love the Lord your God with all your mind and all your heart and all your strength and all your soul, and he added to it, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was making people in leadership nervous, and so Nicodemus goes to see him, not like the movies present him, but under the cloak of darkness. He's intrigued. He's been obviously talking about Jesus with his community. He has questions because he's taken what Jesus says literally. He wants to know, how can you go back in your mother's womb to be born again? He's a seeker, but he's a seeker who doesn't want to be found out. He comes at night. He comes wanting to know Jesus, but not wanting anyone else to know that he wants to know him. He doesn't want to be discovered. He's afraid of being exposed. Maybe he's afraid of losing his power. Maybe he's afraid of being ridiculed for following Jesus. Maybe he's afraid of showing that he is a disciple, of being discovered as an imposter. Some of us struggle with that same cross, the cross of the imposter. For some, we are like Nicodemus. We, are, we live as imposters when it comes to our faith. We don't want people to treat us differently because we're Christians. We're afraid of being discovered for who we really are and all the implications that will come with that. But others struggle with this cross differently. We're more like the man in the gorilla suit, afraid that we'll be discovered as a fraud. When I was um, in seminary, actually before I was in seminary, and if you read our book, I talk about this, um, I had been invited at, you know, I was applying first to, at the end of college, I was applying to seminary, and I had been invited to interview at a couple different schools for scholarships. Now, I was an, uh, an okay student in college, and I did a lot of things on campus and was involved in a lot of things, and I was involved in church and all that. But I was really nervous because I thought, well, I look really good on paper, you know, but, but, but deep down, I, I'm not as good as I look. And so I went around and I, I did these interviews and um, all, the, all the while hoping that they didn't figure out that I really wasn't as good as I looked. But, you know, I was, I was nice. People liked me, right? I was nice. But um, that was really what I had going for me. Um, so I was on, on one of these plane rides. I read this book, and, and the beginning of it, it talked about how this feeling that a lot of people 
who do well, who are successful, have this feeling of being an imposter, of being a fraud, of this fear of being discovered for who we really are. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's, I, I have this fear and I'm not the only one who, who feels this way. That was a good feeling. But it didn't leave me because you see, every year at Garrett, where I went, where I received a fellowship, they had this um, worship service. You know, in seminary, everything is a worship service. And so there was a worship service where they recognized all of the fellowship and scholarship winners, and they did this every year. And so every year, my name was listed at the top as having this fellowship. And every year, I sat in that service thinking, what is everybody thinking? They, they're like, she has that fellowship? Amy Mayo? Because that's who I was then. Amy Mayo has that scholarship really? I was afraid that they would think, oh, she, she shouldn't have that. We should take that back. And then I was appointed to Metropolitan United Methodist Church for my first appointment. And this, um, at that time, was still one of our largest congregations and um, had this, you know, great reputation in the city of Detroit. And people were congratulating me and, and all this stuff. And I was, I was afraid. And in fact, when the senior pastor had lunch with me, when we were talking about me coming to Metropolitan, and he, you know, Metropolitan is located right in the heart of the inner city of Detroit, and he says to me, now what are you afraid of? And I think he thought I was going to say, oh, I'm afraid of walking around the streets by myself or something like that. And all I could say was failure. I'm afraid that I won't be what you think I am. Now, the reason that as we were figuring out what we were talking about for this month of carrying crosses that I chose this theme is because time and again I've had these same conversations in my office with people. Um, people struggling with this same kind of thing of not wanting to be disco dis discovered for who they really are. This fear that somehow deep down inside I'm not who they think they that I am. 70% of successful people struggle with this. It's called the imposter phenomenon. Some people struggle with it in their personal life, maybe in social situations. They are perceived as charming and witting, witty and amusing, but inside they don't feel that way at all. Some um, who are perceived as kind and nice live uh, afraid that you'll discover that they're really kind of mean and that that's all just a facade. People assume that you're a good mom because you have good kids, but deep down inside you're no, you know that you're just lucky that you've got good kids and, you, and you're sure that any day you're going to mess it up because deep down you're not a good mom. Many struggle with it professionally. You do well at work, but you don't know, uh, but you know it's just because they like you, not because you've done anything to earn your, your um, prestige at work. I double moved my papers. Success, uh, sure, you work hard, but that's so that they don't discover that you're really a fraud. Now, even Meryl Streep reported that she questioned, why would anyone want to see me in a movie? I don't know how to act, so why am I doing this? 
Many of us don't trust our success, we don't feel worthy of it, and thus we reject our true selves. We don't trust the gifts that God has given us. We forget that we're created in God's image. And so we live in fear of being discovered instead of appreciating our God-given gifts, claiming our identity as children of God, as lovable and capable people. We don't trust ourselves and our hard work. We're carrying the cross of the imposter phenomenon, and it's getting in the way of following Jesus. When we're too busy with selfish notions and desires to call ourselves a fraud, we aren't accepting the gifts that God has given us. Our need to, be, to not be discovered for who we really are means that we're not discovering ourselves for who God made us. We're blocking out God's love for us and God's gifts given to us, and then we're not fully loving God back. When we question and doubt who we are at our center, we're rejecting God's love. Now, for me, it was through the actual practice of ministry that I began to set, set down the cross of the imposter phenomenon and to authentically be myself as God made me. It was through preaching and teaching and through trusting my prayers. I mean, that for me was a huge thing, to actually say, God, tell me what to say in this situation, to be driving to a hospital when someone was dying and just to say, God, use me, and to trust that. To seeing God work through me, I began to set down that imposter cross. Now, I know it's easy for me to say, right, I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to be able to say those things. But we all, each one of us, is created in the image of God. Therefore, each one of us has gifts. God created us to be kind and loving, smart and professional, talented with money, strong engineers, effective leaders, good parents, contributing members of society, caretakers, hard workers, creative people. That is how God created us. We are all worthy of success and love. We are all called to follow Christ who loves us and equips us. When we refuse to trust our gifts and trust a God who created us, we continue to carry a cross of inauthenticity. We need to set it down and pick up the cross of authenticity, and then we will be faithful in our discipleship, trusting in our faith and the God who equips us. Now, all we know for sure about Nicodemus after his conversation with Jesus is that he at least once posed a question to the other Pharisees in support of Jesus. Some accounts say that he was responsible, along with Joseph of Arimathea, for uh, acquiring the tomb where Jesus would be laid and, and the protection for it. But we don't know what happened after the resurrection. I like to think that the resurrection gave new life and gave Nicodemus courage the courage that he needed to follow Jesus out in the open. I like to think it led him to take up a cross of authenticity and discipleship and allowed him to live in the light and follow the Christ that he sought. I think that's what we need to, to remember the resurrection, to remember the new life that's given to us to set down those crosses that prevent us from living into our discipleship and accepting the gifts that God's given us, to realize that we are precious children of God and pick up that cross of authentic living, the cross of discipleship that 
allows us to follow Christ as we are, knowing that no matter what, he will love us and never leave us. And that he goes with us as we set down and pick up new crosses. Amen.